A powerful demon called the Collector is hot on the trail of a drifter who is in possession of a powerful key that can tip the cosmic scales of power in favor of evil. Join the elusive Crypt Keeper as he guides us through yet another tale from the crypt in 1995's Demon Knight. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Kill Bouget. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Filmgasm podcast. Today's episode is Caleb's pick of the cycle, the 1995 spinoff Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, a personal favorite of yours, I believe. Yeah, big time favorite. I saw this on TV one day when I was a kid. I think my dad had it on. And um, minus a few scenes that I had to cover my eyes on. It's like I can't remember if it was on HBO or not. Um, I remember just falling in love with this movie. It has such a sense of fun to it and um this was really my intro to like billy zane and this is where my love for him came in because he you know his performance is my absolute favorite the way he pulls off just terrifying and charm and charisma is great like one minute you're laughing at the shit coming out of his mouth and then the next you're absolutely terrified this guy um i just love everything about it to me it very much evokes what the show was you, you can tell when they were doing this movie that these were people that are very, very excited to have like this movie spinoff. And at the time, we're really hoping like, oh, my God, you know, the show's done, but we can do this movie series. Unfortunately, time immediate at the time wasn't too kind and it just never happened that way. And, then you know, because of some legalities with the TV show, we haven't been able to get a new show or anything out of it that's why i know Shamalan at one point like announced one for tnt that he was going to produce um but then that well supposedly his tv touch is fine because he has some show on apple tv plus called servant that gets like rave reviews so apparently he's a god when it comes to producing tv um but he was supposed to do a toast from the crypt that he was going to have produced and then it got revealed all the legalities that it just wasn't going to happen um but yeah, this is, I just, I love this movie. It, it just, if you're looking for like a fun horror film and to me, one of the most underrated 90s horror films, this is it right here. Yeah, cool. Yeah, you told, you told me as much over the past week uh, and I'm definitely excited to uh, dig into the film. But before we get into that, I do have uh, two quick updates on the rewind. These two updates both update the same movie takes us back to episode 101 on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. First up, the poster has been released for the upcoming sequel, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which premieres on Netflix on February 18th. Looks creepy. Gives us our first look at Leatherface's mask. Uh, neat. Yeah, it's, it's a cool poster. Um, I did notice when I was looking at those like, blood coming off the mask. I like, I like that little touch. Yeah. Um, with that, Fede Alvarez, when he did the poster, also announced that the trailer is premiering on Monday. So we're getting a new trailer Monday to cast more judgment, if you will, on how this film might look. We're recording this on Sunday, the 30th. So this this Monday? This Monday, yeah. For us? Tomorrow, Monday. Yep. Okay. Cool, cool. I guess in, I know what we're talking be, about next week. <laughs> it'll be in the past when this episode releases. It would have already been released. Why? Well, sure, it was great. And I can't wait to talk about it next week. Um, second update. Original film narrator John Larroquette is returning to provide narration for the new film. Uh, so pretty cool. That's a good sign that people from the OG are, you know, caring about this one. Yeah, it, I mean, it's a step in the right direction. Like I said, I'm I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic on this. I'm I'm really hoping, like, especially with the last few films, that they really can't get worse. Like, <laughs> I'm really hoping the bar on like bad was set with Texas Chainsaw 3D. <laughs> and that we can never go down that road again so i'm, I'm going to and having him you know john lowercat come back to do that opening narration he was he did it for the original film he did it for the remake and he's doing it for this anytime he's been attached i tend to really like the films because the film is usually pretty good that he's attached to in the series obviously with the original and i'm i'm unabashed fan of that remake so i'm hoping it holds true for this new movie yeah we're definitely i'm more optimistic than you are but i get it uh, February 18th will be here soon and it's going to be a fun episode. Finally watch this film. Um, 
So that's all for the rewind. Uh, tell us about a bit more about your love for Tales from the Crypt. So we know why you love the movie. What, where'd, the, where'd your love for the show come from? So my parents used to watch episodes when I was a kid. And um, I'm pretty sure it was like reruns or something on HBO. And I would sneak it because obviously it being on HBO and it being horror. And it, even with the reruns that they were watching, not something I could exactly watch. Um, it wasn't exactly Goosebumps, Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> but I would I would sneak what I could. Um, and I, I really enjoyed what I was able to uh, watch. There was the occasional episode here and there before I had to start sneaking it that they attempted to see if I could watch it. And I would, and I remember, like, after about two or three times to cover my eyes because of boobies popping up on screen because it's fucking Tells from the Crypt on HBO. I was like, okay, you can't do this. Um, <laughs> there was one episode I ended up, I think, well, I can't remember if I snuck it or it was right before they told me I can't anymore that scarred me. And it was, like, about these robbers and they kill the ice cream man. But then, like, they, they keep seeing the ice cream man afterwards delivering ice cream. They're like, what the fuck's going on? And the big twist is that they sneak in to find out what's going on, and it's a Siamese twin, and his they killed his twin, and his twin's still attached. Ooh. And I remember, like, yeah, the imagery of that scarred me as a fucking kid. It scared the living shit out of me. (laughs) Um, But this was always, like, a show that, like, it just knew how to have fun, but also be absolutely horrifying when it had to be. It could go there. I I remember at this before my deployment and the pandemic and all that stuff, Crypticon was going to have John uh, Kassir, who voices the Crypt Keeper, there. And I was so excited. I was like, oh, my God, I can meet the Crypt Keeper himself. Like, but unfortunately, what what events got in the way. But I was really excited at the time. And this is a show that, like, to me, when it comes to TV anthology, you know, horror and, like, we wouldn't have what we have if it wasn't for Tales from the Crypt. And to an extent, we wouldn't have Tales from the Crypt if it wasn't for the EC comics it was based off of. So without those comics and without this show, we wouldn't have things like American Horror Story or um, I think Two Cents Horror Stories on the CW, the um, horror thing that keeps on kicking, apparently. But all these other anthologies that are coming out. It, I don't think it would ever be possible if it wasn't for like things like Twilight Zone or Tales from the Crypt that showed what you can do uh with it it does sad me that there's such a so much legalities on like who owns what with this that we haven't really been able to get proper like they can't put it on hbo max or anything like that so that that kind of sucks in my opinion makes it hard for people to want to to get younger generations into it luckily there is a dvd box set out there that you can get um i've been meaning to pick it up one day i will um, I'm hoping, I remember I held out first because I was hoping, well, if they did a DVD box set, they'll do a Blu-ray. But I'll take the DVD box set if it's all up there. Does the box set come with the uh, with the two movies? No, it's just a TV show. It's all seven seasons. Okay. Uh, so Shout Factory has the two movies. They have the uh, Demon Knight and then Bordello of Blood. And then just because of the weirdness or ritual, again, it was more of a they slapped the presents on there later. It hasn't really been included in any releases. It's not for a lot of people. It's really not considered ah. an official post the Crypt film, just because how that went down. The redheaded stepchild of the franchise. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I have zero experience with Tales from the Crypt. Uh, I know my grandpa was a fan. He's always liked anthology horror series, you know, Twilight Zone, uh, Night Gallery, Outer Limits, uh, Tales from the Crypt. Always his stuff and i have a i have a memory of watching of walking in on him watching one of them as a kid and somebody immediately telling me to leave the room because it was too scary i I don't remember what the episode was i didn't get a good look at it they were like oh he shouldn't be in here (laughs) and i got ushered out um but demon knight is as somebody who has no like nothing to do with the franchise has never seen the episode this is a damn good movie this is a very exciting, entertaining, cool horror film that very much stands on its own, has a very intriguing concept, and is definitely worth a watch. I, I think I might pick up that Shout Factory Blu-ray. Like I, I would want to watch this again. It, it's worth it. That's what I watched it on. Um, it looks great. They did a great job with the um, updating it um, and restoring it. 
I, as someone who has seen the show Smooth with the show, I can tell you right now, it's very evocative of the show. Like, they did a good job of taking what people loved about the show and its seven season run and like its spirit and its tone and applying it to this movie without doing what I feel happens sometimes with these things where the movie just feels like an overly long TV episode. That doesn't happen here. They did a really good job of finding an actual movie concept and then keeping things from the show that fans want and love. Like the fact that they even do the opening theme song and have the opening with the Crypt Keeper, like they could have just chosen that shit completely. So like, well, it's a movie you don't need it. They're like, no, it's Tales from the Crypt. That's what fans want. And it works. I love it. Um, and yeah, you're right. It was interesting with Tales from Crypt and it's when it came out because since it was HBO, people were used to anthologies with things like Twilight Zone, Night Gallery, uh, Hitchcock's, you know, Hour or whatever he got his two shows. Hitchcock yeah. Hour, there we go. Um, that there was, you could watch these with families to an extent. Tales from the Crypt kind of broke boundaries when it came out because it was put on HBO. And very much like the comics it was based off, it was pushing boundaries. They were saying like, no, this is HBO. Like, we're going to put in violence. They're going to say fuck. There's going to be nudity. There might be sex. Like, this is not meant for children like we're we're aiming this at adults and it, you know it it i'm sure it caused some sort of controversy when it first came out but like it's now this beloved iconic show that people just fawn over to this day i mean so it's it was very interesting when it came out and what it was pushing and again it being based off those easy comics you know those were pushing boundaries when they came out in the 50s and the in the 60s and whatnot with the um the comics code authority i was about to say hate code that was for movies and how they were constantly telling them, like, you can't put this in comics. You can't, that's, no, you can't go that far in comics. And the EC comic guys were saying, no, fuck you, we're going to pull what we want in our comics. And unfortunately, it did lead to their demise, but you can get reprints. Um, look on Amazon, you can literally get, like, beautifully restored reprints of all those comics where they maintain the same artwork from that time period. It's awesome. Um, so, you know, the, just the fact that this thing has kind of lived on for so long and and to an extent, these movies as well, like 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 you said, the fact that the film did such a good job of retaining things for fans of the series to enjoy, but also someone like yourself who's not familiar and can watch it and go like, this is really fun. Like I, I really enjoy this because they they're smart. It's an anthology. They don't need to have this heavy fucking backstory with the show. They can just create this new movie, and all that's expected for fans is a certain tone and that whole opening. That's it. <laughs> that's very cool. Yeah, there's. A lot of TV shows or a lot of movies based on TV shows very rarely retain the tone. I mean, we just did the Dukes of Hazard on Beyond the Bad. Perfect example of TV show fans being super pissed about their film adaptation. But here we are with the opposite. And again, shit we didn't plan. That just works out. That's been happening a lot lately. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tales from the Crypt ran for seven seasons on HBO from 1989 to 1996, and as Caleb said, is notoriously difficult to stream. You can you can rent episodes in places like Vudu, but if you do want to watch the whole show, buy the box set. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen the box set, and it's it it's beautiful. Like I said, I've been meaning to get it. It's it's a fucking stunning box set. Nice. Um. Demon Knight is one of two film spinoffs of the classic show, the other being 1996's Bordello of Blood. Uh, there is an unofficial third called Ritual, but as Caleb said, it's the Tales from the Crypt subtitle got tacked on later on. A lot of fans do not consider that to be a true sequel. Um, so unlike episodes of the show, the story for Demon Knight was not taken from the EC comics. The draft of the script was written in 87, two years prior to the show's debut. This, is, this was a, a concept that was cycling around Hollywood for quite some time. It was intended to be made into a film originally by uh, Tom Holland, director of Fright Night and Child's Play. In fact, it was going to be his follow-up to Child's Play. Um, he ended up abandoning the project in favor of doing Fatal Beauty, which ended up being a bomb. So the script wound up in the hands of Mark Carducci, the guy who wrote Pumpkinhead, who sat on it for a few years until Mary Lambert, director of Pet Cemetery, got a hold of it. Uh, she had some ideas for the script uh, that she wanted to change. Uh, she wanted to make Breaker a black guy to create a theme that the oppressed people of Earth were actually the saviors of Earth. And I think that's a bit heavy handed for a, for a movie like this. 
But, you know, maybe she would have made it work. We will never know because she directed Pet Cemetery 2, which was such a hard bomb that nobody invested in this project. So there's a, there's a pattern here of notable horror directors getting a hold of this, choosing to direct something else, having it fail spectacularly, and not having enough clout to make this next, their next project. That happened twice. Yes. <laughs> uh, the script later went to Charles Band's Full Moon, uh, Full Moon Features, but budgetary constraints put the production in limbo for, uh, for a long time. It eventually found its way onto Joel Silver's desk, a uh, famous producer, and then it was optioned to be a Tales from the Crypt theatrical spinoff. Uh, they had two other options, Dead Easy and Body Count, neither of which ended up happening. This was uh, supposed to be the second of a trilogy, but in order to uh, make it, ah, sorry, it was sent into production with a Halloween 1994 release date, but it ended up getting pushed to January 1995. I guess Tales from the Crypt like wanted to, it wanted to come out around like a, a scary holiday, you know, Halloween or Friday the 13th or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they made two versions of the film, or no, two versions of the script. Uh, one with demons, one without demons. In the latter, the collector was a Bible salesman who was using a legion of salesmen clad in black suits and sunglasses as his minions. Um, a film called Demon Night with demons that looked like killer yuppies made everyone nervous, so Universal pitched in some well, additional cash. Yeah. You know why they did that? Why? To get that cash. They didn't have the money for the demons that they wanted to do. And Universal was, or someone was trying to be like, well, you can just do it without, right? So they purposely sent them that draft of the script without the demons. And yeah, the producers read it and went, well, this is stupid. It's called Demon Night. We need demons. So they were like, we'll just throw you some extra cash. So it was literally a ploy to get more money so they could get the demons into the fucking movie. It was a bluff. That's fucking great. I love that. I wonder what would have happened if Universal was like, yeah, this is all right. Go with it. Maybe they would have been fucked. Yeah. <laughs> I would. I don't think that movie would have done nearly as well because I'll get into it later. But I think the demon effects in this film are fucking awesome. Oh yeah, that was like one of my favorite things I wrote down in my notes were the just insane level of gore in this thing. I was really shocked. Um, before we get into that, let's talk about the cast and crew a bit here. The film was directed oh, by. Hmm? I said, "Oh please, I have oh, yes. such love for this cast and and the director as well. Great director." I was shocked to see, like, I, I knew Billy Zane was in it, but I was surprised at how many other people just popped up in this thing. I was really surprised. Uh, Ernest Dickerson directed this thing. He also directed such films as Juice, Surviving the Game, Blind Faith, and a lot of TV, including episodes of Dexter, uh, other stuff that I forgot about. Dickerson was also... I want to say he did some uh, early Walking Dead seasons. He did, yeah. Walking Dead was on his resume. He's done a lot of TV in the past 20 years. Uh, yeah. Cool. And film director in the 90s and then kind of parlayed into television. I thought this was really cool and worth mentioning. He's the cinematographer for a lot of Spike Lee's movies, including uh, Malcolm X, She's Got a Habit, Mo Better Blues, Jungle Fever, and Do the Right Thing. So pretty cool that you jump from being Spike Lee's like cinematographer for his 90s run to directing Tales from the Crypt Demon Night. <laughs> this seems like a really talented. Yeah. He's a really talented filmmaker. I mean, if you're watching him in interviews, like he he's very talented, very smart. Um, I can see why he's had the career that he's had. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this film is you know very well directed. It reminded me a lot of Assault on Precinct 13 uh, with demons, which was like yeah. fuck yeah, I'll watch that. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of cool influences here. Yeah, and he just and uh, he's really good to me. I know that he knows how to take such a initially big cast and find a really effective way of introducing them that doesn't feel forced doesn't feel kind of out of place like it all kind of happens naturally how everything all these characters get introduced that he knows how to really pull off yes definitely um so john kassir plays the crypt keeper a role he voiced during the entire run of the hbo series and both movies i don't think anyone else has ever played the crypt keeper no, and um, from what I understand, had they been able to figure out the legalities when it was was had the you know intended idea of being on TNT, I think they were already talking to him about being the crypt. Like as far as until the day he like can't do it or dies, like he will forever be the crypt keeper. 
I hope to God they can figure out the legalities and quit like a reboot of the show on like the streamers or something. Yeah. And he can voice that character again. Do you do you think this would ever work on TNT though? No. And I, I remember at first I was like, mm, and my, well, I was like, he's just producing, so me he won't be super hands-on. I was like, I can take that. But then when I read TNT, I was like, Ugh. I was like, that really betrays why one of the key reasons that like that show became so iconic. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, I mean, this seems like prime real estate for like Shudder to throw their name in the ring here. Yeah. I, look, like I said, I'm sure if they could figure out these legalities, I would I would assume it'd be a bidding between Shudder and um, HBO Max. Since, you know, they essentially did the original show, they'd probably be keen about being like, hey, let's do a, another one for HBO Max. We can get yeah. the horror fans on this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's got to be like one of the only HBO shows you can't get on HBO Max. I mean, their whole catalog is available, and it really sucks that legalities. Like, is there any? I know that you know Friday the Thirteenth has been held up in court for decades. Like, what's the? Like, has there been any movement on this? With Tales no one knows. No, no one knows because it hasn't really gone to court. And because it's not like two people are fighting. It's literally just like trying to figure out who the fuck owns mm. what and how they can proceed forward. Like, it's really, it's weird. It's it's really weird situation. Um, that no one, no one's fighting and it t- it's taken time to really like dig through that paperwork and do it. And because, I mean, there hasn't really, I, you know, you were thinking when Shaylon came in saying he was going to do it, that maybe something would get moving forward again and kind of start happening, but apparently not. So I, I don't know what's going on with that. I just know that that has what's been stopped, has stopped us getting anything new from it, much less anything beyond a DVD uh, box set release. Maybe somebody will, you know, provide, you know, uh, offer an an insane amount of money to both parties or all parties involved and saying, like, I'll buy this. And they all are like, fine, take it off our hands. Everybody wins. And then we just got, you know, I don't know. I'm just now that I've seen this, I want I want to check this out. (laughs) I want to check out the show. I I like it. Right. No, I, I think you would like the show. The show's a lot, a lot of fun. I really, really there's a lot of episodes I remember that. So, I mean, there's episodes that you will see on Play Disgusting or Trade Central that they talk about to this day. Like, the show has such lasting power. People are still talking about it. I think that DVD box set fucking sold through the roof when it came out because it was, like, the only physical fucking thing of it that exists. And, you know, it not being on the stream was just, like, the only way you can go back and watch old episodes. <laughs> nice. Uh, William Sadler plays Breaker, the drifter with the blood of Christ. Uh, Sadler is a prolific character actor who's appeared in such films as The Mist, The Shawshank Redemption, Iron Man 3, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, Die Hard 2, VFW, and The Green Mile. He's set to appear in the upcoming Salem's Lot remake. His character has not yet been revealed. Uh, and he's awesome. You don't see him play like heroic figures very often, but he's, he's badass as Breaker. I liked Breaker. Yeah, I loved him. I loved, and we'll get into when you bring this this actor up. But I loved their interplay between him and Thomas Hay and Church, and the constant just fucking, fucking Roach. Yeah, God, we'll get more into Roach here in a minute. But I just love like how they're going at each other constantly. And yeah, I mean, Real Style has always been an awesome actor when you see him in something. And I'm I'm dead set he's playing fucking Barlow in the Salem's Lot things. He's the only one they haven't fucking said who he's playing everyone else they've said who they're playing but him so it must be fucking barlow as far as i'm concerned i really really hope you're right he is such an off the like out of left field choice he's got the stephen king credentials to back it up you know he's been in so much of his work already he's a great choice to finally get like a book version of barlow not that weird blue motherfucker from the 79 (laughs) miniseries he didn't say a word he has the acting uh powers as far as i'm concerned as well so yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm fucking determined he is Barlow because he's the only one they haven't like said like, oh, this is who he's playing. Um but in, yeah, and here you don't see him much you really not only do you not really see him play like a heroic figure, you don't see him as the main character a lot. That's this true. is one of the this is one of the few films where he is a he's essentially the main character, if not one of the main characters as the film progresses. So it's cool seeing that, and he, yeah, he's awesome. I love his take on being a hero and someone who's just like just done with this shit and tired, 
especially as it gets revealed through the, to me, very clever use of uh, the flashbacks, um, how old he actually is and how long he's been doing this. I love the idea of like the reluctant hero, the, the, the like sour bastard who's the only thing standing between like the human race and absolute chaos. And it's just, there's no other way. He's got to protect this thing or all, all is gone. And yeah. he hates it. He fucking hates it the whole time. You just he's so pissed that he has to deal with any of this. But ultimately, you know, he does the right thing. It's it's, it's a cool character. Um Billy Zane plays the collector, the demon hunting down this key. Zane is a character actor who appeared in Titanic, Zoolander, The Phantom, Twin Peaks, Dead Calm, and the first two Back to the Future films. Uh which is my introduction to him. He's one of Biff's gang in the first two films. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, and he is absolutely fucking insane as the collector. He is so off the wall. Like, there's moments of, at, like, moments that just had me laugh. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I just have to bring it up. When he, like, he freaks out towards the beginning and just goes, fuck this cowboy shit, and starts, like, doing a mock cowboy voice. <laughs> It cracks me up so much. You hockey talk, motherfuckers. <laughs> that fucking southern drawl he puts on to, to mock everybody. That was so fucking hilarious. Oh, the southern drawl, the mo- weird movement he's doing to express his anger. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Billy Zane like this before. He's always so reserved, but he really just let it like let it go with this one. And I'm glad because he's like he's, a, he's playing a demon. You got to be unhinged, and he really pulled it off. Yeah, I, this was my, like, like I said, this was my intro. So, like, my love for Billy Zane was because of this film and knowing that he can go there if he has to. Um, he doesn't do it often with his film roles, obviously, but it's in him. And, um, yeah, there's just so many moments in this film that just had me cracking up. Um, like, that scene always, I always die when he finally just loses his cool <laughs> as his yell, or when, you know, the fucking he has a sponge come out of his mouth and he's just looking at the guy his fucking eye movements are just like go on take it out of my mouth <laughs> i read in the uh trivia that that was that was zane's idea the sponge yes i was watching the the bonus features and yeah they said that he had to keep asking for a clean one because he's like i really don't want to put a dirty one in my mouth <laughs> yeah of course get play him. yeah and apparently he he surprised them by being bald because before that all his roles he had hair and he came to set and took his hat off he was bald and they were like uh you're usually have hair but luckily Ernest Dixon was like nah keep it it looks great he's like it's gonna look perfect for the role and (laughs) yeah Billy Zane was like well I was balding like I I was getting tired of it (laughs) is it just me or does a bald Billy Zane look so much like Arnold Vosloo in the mummy oh it looks a lot like it and the thing is too this man when i was watching mine scenes he looks the fucking same like age has been kind to this human being <laughs> oh he's pretty stayed pretty much out of the spotlight you know does his own thing become a, a pretty prolific character actor he followed this with titanic like huge role for him I, mm-hmm. i'd argue the role he's most known for these days uh so yeah good for him role he's most known for by out people that aren't really horror fans i would argue that horror fans this is the role we all love him by and regular society yes <laughs> titanic yeah but, yeah also, I, get, I get you yeah, i was about to say horror fans this is it like this is our love for billy zane right here and um yeah no he fuck he just crushes it i i love how he is trying to get into everyone's head to get the fucking key constantly i think my favorite is like when he's the bartender for Dick Miller's, and he has yeah. fucking the, the the fucking cigarette in his mouth, the cigar in his mouth, and he has a hat and the glasses. Yeah. Here's looking He's, at you, Willie. <laughs> yeah. Or when he like goes up to with CCH Pounder's arm up to the attic, he's all happy. He's like, "I got an arm for you. All you gotta do is give me that key." And she's like, "Get the fuck out!" He's like, "All right, I'll come back to you later." I love his interaction with Roach. Because in that moment, he's not the slimiest piece of shit in the room. <laughs> and no. He realizes that. He's like, wow, this guy's a dirtbag. <laughs> yeah. Just the way he's love- talking to Roach, he's like, I can't believe this guy's saying this shit right now. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Oh, and uh, Mr. Roach, yeah. I lied. 
<laughs> if you want something, go get it. I like that. Like just, I, <laughs> I just, I've never seen a, a, a scene in a movie where a demon is repulsed by how evil a human being is. <laughs> it was yeah. It was creative. <laughs> yeah, it, it was awesome. Like, yeah, Billy Zane just, he fucking crushes it. To me, he is the absolute standout in this movie. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, Jada Pinkett Smith. I like when he, I was like, I like when he gets shot by the arrow in his line, or not, and just fucking falls. <laughs> I love that he's hunting that key for like thousands of years. He finally gets it. He has it for 35 seconds. He takes an arrow to the head. He immediately loses it. <laughs> he's not very good at his job. No. Oh, I love when he just like saunters out of the car accident. Like, yeah, that was my car. Did you see the other guy? <laughs> They're well, like, <laughs> well, he stole something from me. Uh, yeah, when you when you are going into this thing blind like I am, the way this plays out is very cool because you're not sure exactly who here is the bad guy, who's the good guy, what exactly is going on, and you're like as in the dark as the characters are, and just watching it unfold like that's very cool. Yeah, I like how you you learn the information with the characters as the film progresses. Yeah. Um, next up, we got Jada Pinkett Smith as Geraldine. Uh, she was still Jada Pinkett at the time. Uh, later married Will Smith, became Jada Pinkett Smith. She appeared in The Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions, The, the uh, Nutty Professor, Scream 2, Collateral, Ali, and the TV series Gotham as Fish Mooney. Remember that? Remember that show, Gotham? Yeah, I watched the whole thing. Me too. <laughs> I liked it. I liked I liked parts of it. I liked seasons two through four because season one was weird. They couldn't figure out what they wanted to do, but I felt like two, they figured it out. They ran with it. And then I think it was the fifth season was the last season. That one was weird to me. I didn't like that one too much because they shrunk down the count and it felt like they were kind of just rushing through it. And then they did their obligatory Batman bullshit at the, on the last episode. And I was like, all right. But I, like that, that middle, those sandwiched seasons, I enjoy Two is awesome. I, I love the way they kind of did a proto Joker. I just wish they'd just, you know, committed to that and just called him the Joker. Um, well, I think that was more of a DC doing their bullshit at the time. So you're like, you can't. Yeah. I hate that shit. Just like the people who are watching this show are the same people seeing your movies. Why can't you just let us all be happy? Anyway, um, I also didn't really I didn't like that they kept creating new characters like fish Mooney when you've got this giant catalog of Batman villains to choose from, like, why not just pick one of those and re like, you know, do something with that. Um, and the constant penguin Riddler shit, like double crossing each other constantly and always being surprised about it. It just kept going back and forth to the point where I was just like, I'm done with it. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. It, it happens moments. Like I like the whole Professor Pig thing. That was that was fucking creepy. Yeah, they when they went for like real creepy dark stuff, they usually excelled in that show. Yeah. Um, and I, I would argue now that Jada Pinkett Smith's becoming less known for her film roles and more known for her weird marriage stuff with Will Smith. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's uh, it's weird. We don't all need to know that, but we do. It. Yeah. Look, this is how I'll put it. You do you or your marriage, but. Because even I have like some stuff she said, I'm like, you guys do kind of have a weird marriage. But like, as far as like the shit they both said, I'm like, what is going on with you two? With that said, maybe stop talking about it, Jada and Will, both of you, stop talking about it. But I, I always say the problem started when like with their kids starting to become famous and like comments they were making about how they raise their children. I'm like, okay, you guys need to stop because it's just, I don't want to hear about your personal lives because it's just strange to me. I don't want it. Shut up. I don't think it's affected Will Smith's career as far as people still loving him movie-wise. Yeah. But I feel like with Jada Pinkett Smith, that she's become more known for that, less known for her fucking movie and TV roles now. I think Will Smith's own stupid-ass script-picking decisions are what affected his career more than anything. Yes, and the fact that he is adamant about doing a gritty reboot of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which I'm just not down for at all. I don't know who the hell ever thought that was a good idea, but they're it's happening. I I, I don't get why it's happening. Uh, I, I, what I'm worried about is what what is this going to lead to? Are we going to get like 
like a badass Urkel or like what, what's going to happen next? If you can get Michael J. White <laughs> to play <laughs> badass Urkel. Oh my God. I would actually be kind of down. I would be down to see that. Now that I'd watch. <laughs> Try to see God, that one shit constantly turned him down now. Like Urkel at one point, like joined the Marines. And this is like him coming back from it, like two tours. <laughs> He's just battle hardened to shit. Becomes like a sheriff in some small town or some shit. I, you know what? We could pitch this. <laughs> oh my God. Um, <laughs> it's more like Michael. Yeah. Michael J. White to play Urkel. I don't know if Jaleel White's doing anything. You know what? Fuck it. Bring him back too. He like blows the head off some drug dealer and he just very calmly goes, Did I do that? <laughs> this would sell man we could this would sell i would i would die if they did that and they put a laugh track in there like you hear a laugh track he turns around blows up a boombox is playing the laugh track just starts walking some badass guitar starts playing this is gonna happen in like 10 years maybe five God, are all the sitcoms we watch gonna get like gritty reboots? Like, it's gonna be like a gritty boy meets world reboot at some point instead of like the lighthearted comedy I, I enjoyed as a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there will be a gritty uh, full house. Gritty full house. Oh god, there was a there was a ro- a robot chicken sketch called Sabrina the Teenage Bitch. They should they should turn that into a full blown show. Oh my god. Technically, we got the greatest Sabrina. I know. Netflix show that I that I did watch. I enjoyed it. But I want straight up just no magic powers. Just a teenage girl named Sabrina who's a complete bitch. I'd be down for that. (laughs) Anyway, Jada Pinkett Smith is in this movie. Yes. (laughs) You also surprised with her choice of hair. Because I think when they hired her, she had like long hair and she came in with her the hair you see in the movie and they were just like ah shit but again Ernest Hickson was like just deal with it like she's good because he's the one that suggested her um because I think he had worked on a movie with her before or seen her or something I forget what so yeah. he was like we'll just she has this it's fine we'll work with it it's good I feel like that's such a superficial thing to turn like to turn an actor away on their hair like wigs exist just you know that that shouldn't matter. <laughs> also, I'm not really going to care how her hair looks. And I I want a good performance. Is what I want. Yeah. You know, I, do you really think like Billy Zane with hair would have would have changed anything? I I don't think so. No. A honky talk motherfucker part would have still been just as funny. <laughs> I'm never gonna. I'm gonna look that that up on YouTube just so I can have it again because that was that was funny as hell. The way he takes the jacket off, like this is a he's done. He is done. He is so mad at that point. <laughs> um Oscar nominee Thomas Hayden Church plays Roach, the asshole. Uh Church was nominated for his performance in 2004's Sideways. Great movie. Uh he's also in George of the Jungle and Spider-Man 3 as the Sandman. And he's a guy who really just kind of disappeared off the face of the earth until No Way Home came out. I don't. I haven't seen him in anything for ten plus years, and here he is, Sandman again. He pops up here and there, wasn't he in the 2004 Punisher film as the Punisher? No, that was Thomas Jane. That was Thomas Jane. Jesus Christ! I keep getting those two guys mixed up. I get it. They're both named Thomas. Character actors around the same time. I, I got you. Yeah, um, but uh, he pops up here and there. Um, this is probably my favorite. Role of his, I would actually say I did actually like his portrayal of Sandman a lot. Um, oh yeah, he's the saving grace of Spider-Man Three, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, he's really good at Sandman. Um, I, you know, I like his performance in this movie, but God damn, is he an asshole? Like his character is so fucking despicable. I remember I put in my notes like his death is one of the most satisfying moments in the entire movie. When because you know he makes it, he's trying to make that deal with and the whole time he's like, dude, you're making a deal with a demon. Like he's going to betray you. And the moment Billy Zane go, turns around and goes, oh, hey, Roach, one last thing. I lied. And you just see the fucking demons coming. And I'm like, thank you. Fuck yes. It's just such an odd character. Like, it's such an odd choice to hear that, like, if the demons get a hold of this thing, the world ends. And he's still like, well, I want to get the fuck out of here. So 
he's still like willing to give up all of humanity so he can, he can go outside. Yeah, so he doesn't have to be in the hotel anymore. Yeah, and why is he there to begin with? He's like fucking this girl and just like loudly throughout the entire. I love that everyone can hear him. Yeah, <laughs> and he's just like actively trying to be the biggest prick in the world. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what well, I love is that she was about to like sleep with at least two of her dudes before he finally showed up. So if he didn't show up, someone else was going to get something. Yeah. Like the mailman who was totally going to like shoot up the post office for that yeah. girl. Roger Rabbit himself. <laughs> Wait, that was? I'm pretty sure I think they said that that was the voice for Roger Rabbit. Charles Fleischer? I think so. Stand yes. by. If that's Charles Fleischer. That it, it is. Holy I'm pretty shit. sure it is. That's yeah. Roger Rabbit. Yeah. I look, oh, my God. Well, isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. Ro- Roger Rabbit was about to get some and shoot up the post office. Getting some. Roger Rabbit is doing just fine in that department. I mean, holy shit. <laughs> um, yeah. You, you've seen George of the Jungle, right? Oh, yeah. I, I stand by that. That movie is dumb, but I enjoy the shit out of it. Remember Lyle Vandergroot? Yeah. That was my intro to Thomas Aiden Church. <laughs> yeah, he's he's kind of an asshole in that, too. He, he plays an asshole so well. Sideways, the movie that got him an Oscar nomination. He's playing an actor who is, like, actively cheating on his girlfriend. Like, he's a prick in that, too. He's he he's, he's a nice guy in real life, yeah. Because usually the guys who play pranks are super nice in real life. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was cool to see him. Uh, finally, CCH Pounder is Irene, the woman who runs this like inn in the middle of nowhere. Um, I'm currently watching The Shield, which she is a major character in. Uh, like, she's well, her, like, wasn't that like her big shot or whatever? Was The Shield or was she big before that? I, I don't know. I think... Because she, I know she was the voice of Amanda Waller on the Justice League cartoon, which was pre uh, the Shield, uh, and that that's my favorite performance of her. She's the best Waller I think that we've ever had. Um, yeah. But she's also in Sons of Anarchy. She she has a lot of cool TV, uh, TV work. Yeah, she's really good in this. I like her a lot. Her her character herself would grab my nerves. The constant like telling all this shit to get done, but I really like her in the movie. And she goes out like a boss, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. She even takes losing an arm pretty damn well. Yeah. Yeah, she does. <laughs> um, so Demon Knight has... Hmm? Did you bring up Dick Miller? I didn't. I think we've, I brought up Dick Miller a while back in one of our previous episodes. He's got such an insanely huge filmography that going through it is just, like, hard. But we can, we can talk about Dick Miller for a bit. Oh, I didn't, I I would say this is one of my favorite roles of Dick Miller. I I love him in this movie. So so much. I mean, and like I said, he's had an extensive filmography for his um his uh passing. But God, this is one of my favorites personally. Um, I, I the scene when he walks into that room and he thinks there's all the naked women. And he's clearly in fucking cloud nine. When I was watching the bonus features, um, they said it took them forever to film that because he kept forgetting his lines. Because <laughs> he's like, there's all these beautiful ladies naked in the room. I can't remember my lines. He's like, we spent probably most of the day doing that one scene. <laughs> His lines in that scene are like, oh wow, oh boy. Like he doesn't even have any substantial lines. <laughs> he was fucking up on purpose. Oh yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, my um, my first run with Dick Miller was definitely Small Soldiers. Uh, he plays the truck driver who delivers those crazy toys to uh, Alan. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I've always liked him. I love him in The Burbs. He plays uh, a garbage man. There's a scene in The Burbs where everyone in this neighborhood thinks these new guys who moved in are serial killers. So Bruce Dern, Tom Hanks, and uh, Rick Dukeman start going through the trash. They go in, they jump in the back of the, of the garbage truck and start dumping it out. And Dick Miller's like, who the hell is going to clean this up? And Bruce Dern gets in his face and goes, well, you're going to clean it up because you are a garbage man. <laughs> Just picks a fight with him. It's really funny. 
Yeah, it's it's such a classic. Mm. It's probably it's right up my alley. It's something I'd probably enjoy. Oh, you would for sure. Mm. Yeah, Dick Miller's the man. I was really sad to see him go. It was a couple years ago. Yeah, uh, I was sad to hear that. Hear about that. Um, great, great fucking character actor. Obviously, a lot of what we know him for is from because of Joe Dante. For at least a lot of us, I know he was clearly he was in films well before that. I mean, like I said, yeah, I was ninety years old. Had been in film for a while, but I know for a lot of us our age, thanks to a lot of the Joe Dante films like Gremlins and Small Soldiers and stuff, that's where we got introduced to him. Yeah. Uh, big time. Yep. And the Burbs. That's Joe Dante as well. The Burbs. Um, I know it's not, I know it's not Joe Dante, but what? for some reason I want to say Dick Miller's in the Howling, but I might be wrong. No, he's in that. Yeah, you're right. He's, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, for me, you know, the Howling, obviously this film tells from the crypt. So yeah. He's a verse was a versatile guy. Uh, Demon Knight has an IMDb score of 6.7, uh, Rotten Tomatoes score of 38%. Eh. Uh, grossed around 21 million on a budget of 12 million and spawned one sequel, 1996's Bordello of Blood. So, with that, let's discuss this flick. So, we open with kind of a you know, slasher film, like typical slasher film thing, you know, chick with one of the most impressive racks I've ever seen in my life. Verse and killer comes in and like, ah, and then it's revealed Crypt Keepers making a movie. <laughs> and uh another fun fact, I don't know if you have it pulled up, but uh that slasher that he's uh, like berating, Sean Lowe Kit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Very nice. Well, that's interesting considering the rewind update we had today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was looking. I was like, "No, it's not." And it's yeah, it's an uncredited uh, uh, part. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, yeah, crib keepers like you know, good evening, boys and ghouls and whatnot, and like sets up demon night. And yeah, he uh, does, he, yeah, he does what he does in the show. You know, has his little puns. You know, he loves his puns and gets us set up and into uh, the film. Yeah, and when we get to the actual film, we immediately met with uh, Filter's Hey Man, Nice Shot. And right then, I'm like, I think I'm going to like this. <laughs> oh, I love the soundtrack in this movie yeah. so much. I love that song, especially after I found out like what it's about. Uh, ballsy. Um, have you ever heard of R. Bud Dwyer? No. He was a politician who killed himself on live television. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He was up for corruption charges that were untrue in order to make sure his family secured his pension. He went on TV, read a statement, put a handgun in his mouth, and blew his brains out. Fuck me. Yeah, and this song, Hey Man, Nice Shot, is about that. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, t- check out, um, there's a time suck on Arba Dwyer. Really good episode. Uh, so yeah. Breakers being chased by something, but right now we're just like, oh, who's this William Sadler looking drifter who's on the run from some Billy Zane looking motherfucker? And <laughs> there's, a, <laughs> there's a big car wreck. I, so I was thinking, <laughs> these guys look familiar. Um, so there's a car wreck. Breaker makes it to this inn. He's got some artifact with him, Billy Zane, dressed as a cowboy. It's like, well, what in tarnation's going on down here? I'll tell you what. And <laughs> I love his commitment to it until he's like, fuck this. Yeah. I, I love how like his commitment and how calm and reserved he is. He's like cooperating with the cops. The moment you see the anger start to rise is when the cops are like, well, no, you're coming to the station with me too, mister. And you can just see him be like, oh, God damn it. And then he fucking punches through the guy's head. Dude, I love the lead up when he's just walking. He's just like, you're making a mistake. You just need to let me go. And finally, you see him go, ah, fuck it. And he just turns around and punches through his fucking face. God damn. But when we got to that inn, I immediately was like, what? CCH Pounder? Dick Miller? Thomas in Church? What the hell's going on here? Like, I know yeah, all these people. They keep popping up. Yeah. It, it, like I said, I'm not like, now as I got older, it's just like, God, this is like a star studded. But then that just that shows you again just how big the show was. That as soon as they put out this idea of a 
of a movie based off the show, a movie spinoff, people were like, oh yeah, I want to do that. Because even the show, like if you watch it, when you're if you're able to you know watch it one day, like it is like a huge who of like famous people back then. Like they got we were able to pull off, especially obviously the seasons went on and got bigger. So many celebrity guest spots. Even like the first season, I think had people like Adrian Barbeau and like a bunch of like horror favorites come into it. Like it, it is impressive, like what who they could get into the show. And to an extent, because of that, the cast they got for this movie. I didn't look into it, but do you know if Bordello of Blood had the same level of like cast involvement? Uh, I believe so. I know in his prime, Corey Feldman was a main character. Um, I want to say Dick Miller came back for that one too cool. as, a, as a new character. Um, I remember I looked it up the, the cast list one day because I, I actually that one I have not had a chance to see. I really do need to see it. Let's see. Uh, Chris Sarandon. Oh, fuck it. I'm in. <laughs> Immediately. Yeah. I don't need to hear anybody else. I'm, I'm in. Yeah. Like I said, prime, in his prime, Corey Feldman, Chris Sarandon, D- Dennis Miller is who I'm thinking of. Yeah. Well, I'll still watch it for Chris Sarandon. Yeah, same. I wouldn't know. I don't know if I'd call 1996 Corey Feldman prime Corey Feldman. Maybe 1986. I would say the 90s was so his time. I would say it's when the 2000s hit that that shit started like slide drastically. I don't know. I I think that ship sailed in the late 80s. I think he, you know, after Lost Boys and the Goonies and he had that run. I can't I can't tell you any 90s stuff that he was. He like, had he had some 90s stuff here and there, but 2000s when it like it like it it fucking declined. Oh yeah, then he started doing impromptu, uh, like concerts at baseball games that nobody asked for yeah i would say yeah no i would say 80s was like his decade he's still holding on to roles here and there in the 90s i wouldn't say he was too like gone at that point so like he could you could still rely on him for a movie and then like 2000s was when it just went it just fucking it dropped yeah fair enough um some other highlights i've got uh wally's death is particularly gruesome when cordelia gets possessed and just starts fucking devouring him. Yeah, oh, dude, the, I, I know we talked about earlier, but, like, the gore effects and the demons are fucking top-notch Yeah, in this movie. There's, like, like an Evil Dead vibe to them. Yeah, but I, and I noted it, like, whereas, like, I, I would say they have a slight edge over Evil Dead in the sense that, like, Evil Dead demons will fuck with you before they take you down. These guys? We'll no. Just They'll just fuck you. <laughs> yeah, they just they just go for the kill. They don't give a shit. They don't want to fuck around. They just want to fucking rip you apart. Like they are brutal, terrifying names. I would not want to be stuck in a fucking room with these guys. Whereas at least with the Evil Dead ones, I feel like I have a fighting chance a little bit because yeah. they're willing to fuck with you at first. That's true. That's true. I'm trying to look. I'm trying to find out who the. Uh... Who the makeup guy was. Um, wondering if like it's anybody I've heard of, and I I can't really find it. But you know, uh, he's great. Yeah. And the uh yeah, the gore man, like from when he's like punching the head off, and like he's like to- he tosses it to yeah, this Wally's death. Um, the quick scene you see of you know Thomas and Church get ripped apart, and um some of the more special demons we see throughout the movie. I I still think one of the most horrifying things I've ever witnessed is when that kid turns into a fucking demon and they show it. Like, God damn, that thing is creepy. Oh, dude, when he, like, his giant tongue starts, like, licking William Sadler's chest hole, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say. That was quite aggressive. <laughs> um, yeah, then Demon Cordelia ripping off Irene's arm was very brutal. I mean, good God. I think you know CTH's pound, CTH Pounder's uh, re- reaction to that just seemed really uh, really real. Yeah, what I love was that they take a while to shoot her. Like she keeps she she was blocking a lot of their hits at first. And finally, William, William uh, Sadler took care of business and shot her. <laughs> and I, I like the the lore and how you have to kill these demons that you have to shoot their eyes because the whole like um, possessed evil releasing the tormented souls i think that's a really cool touch that you don't that makes it that makes them stand off from other horror films yeah i like how billy zane was like 
that only works on lower level demons who makes up these rules right like he doesn't know it. he's like I, whatever yeah i love how that keeps happening throughout the movie like they they purposely again it's that 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 tells them the tone the show is known for that constant like people are like well he makes up the rules and I'm just constantly like oh we don't know that's just i don't think siler says it. he's like i didn't make the rules i know he did it just is what it is like yeah very cool um the explanation of the key I thought was really neat. This was the uh, the selling point for me because I love a good backstory. I love stakes like this and uh, the constant like flashbacks to Christ. I was like, what is going on here? And that like inside the key is the, bl- the blood of Christ. That's neat. Uh, I also noticed the nun stole quite a lot from this movie. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah, even the scene where like she spits the blood at the demon, like they did that in the nun too. Oh god damn it! Yeah, mm. um, yeah. So like in the beginning there was darkness, and in the darkness were the demons, and God's like fuck that shit, turned on the light, and all the demons scattered. And I guess you need these seven keys to unlock darkness once again. And they've been scattered across the universe, and he left one on Earth. Why the fuck would he do that? And they found him. I guess over thousands or millions of years. And this is the last one. If they get it, evil wins. Like you can't get bigger stakes than that. (laughs) Yeah. And you're one person stopping that from happening. I love that it's passed on to like a noble soul when, like when necessary, like that's a cool touch. Uh, And breaker got it in world war one. It's like shit. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's what I like. It's like, as like it was revealed, right? Like it needs to be the seven, seven victims, and on the seventh day, and all this like all this crazy stuff. And then he reveals like I, you know, he's like he's like I end up here to find you. He's like my time is done, and you kind of see in his eyes like he's he's kind of happy. Like oh my god, finally, <laughs> I'm I'm done doing this. Now yeah. now you have to carry the burden though. Yeah, I wonder how she's gonna kind of fair doing that i like their smart idea to put the blood on the bus and that one guy is like i'll take the next one <laughs> yeah yeah as soon as you see the suitcase you're like ah oh, shit there i got someone else which to me tells you how like i can't imagine like as soon as one's down there's another one fucking coming after you yeah just an endless tirade of demons because you are the only thing standing between them and total control of all of existence they're going to be after you forever constantly yeah <laughs> crazy oh yeah. um yeah i love when um when billy zane gets the blood of christ spat in his face and he turns into like his true form and he looks like the fucking chernabog from fantasia this is like giant his winged monster like fuck that's terrifying yeah his <laughs> true form yeah i like all the stuff before that when like again when he, like, you know you see him with seven eye and he can tell, like, his little rant is, again, he's just tired. Like, this is not how the night was supposed to go for him. <laughs> he's just trying. He's like, you know, I've been really looking forward to this fucking promotion. And <laughs> and then, like, how he keeps trying to seduce her and be like, come on, just be by my side. And, like, the, the, the light comes out of his dick and just attacks her. <laughs> that was fucking weird. Um... I was like, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> I loved um, Irene and Bob's sacrifice with the grenade vest. That was so badass. Yeah, I love how Bob kind of gets redeemed because at first Bob just does a lot of jokes made about him like, oh, come on, Bob. Like, you can tell they don't respect him at all as a cop. But then as the film progresses, you see, like, he, he really rises up to essentially his heroic sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, that's all, that's all I've got for... Uh, for highlights anything else you want to bring up uh I, I forgot to mention but i do love how like along with dickerson finding a very creative way to introduce characters i love how he handles upping the stakes throughout this movie because you know at first they get all the the like for example they get all the fucking exits you know the windows and the doors covered and you're like oh okay good they'll be fine for the rest of the night how do we possibly go from there oh easy we'll have this fucking secret mind hiding and then we'll have the asshole character very much in line with who he is blow up that fucking shield and now the demons have a new way coming in and now we've just reduced 
how much space they have to work with now. Like, I just, I, I really like how, like, he finds a way to just keep upping it and upping it and the plot moving forward and things just getting worse and worse. Yeah, that was a good touch. Uh, you never feel like they can easily get out of this. Like, it never, you always feel like the danger is imminent and very real. And you need that in a film like this, especially when it's in such tight uh, quarters. Yeah, yeah, it, it really works to the... I'm a sucker for like a film that knows how to use a single location, and this film knows how to use a single location. You've you told me you haven't seen Assault on Precinct 13, right? No, I have seen it. You have seen it. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. It was the of that carpenter so I got, it was the fog I haven't seen yet. The fog, that's the one. Okay. Yeah. The fog nice. and they live, I saw it a long time ago on TV. So I'd have to re, I'm gonna rewatch it again, but I did pick up that one as well. Okay, my bad. Yeah, it definitely I felt serious influences of Assault and Precinct 13 in this film. And I, I really like that. That's one of my favorite Carpenters. Uh, very cool. <laughs> um, yeah, any other uh, any other things you'd like to point out from uh, Demon Knight? Um, not right now. I want to see. There's one thing I'm thinking of. I don't know if it's going to be in your fun facts here. And if not, I'll bring it up then. But besides that, no. Okay. Well, I've only got two film guys and facts. Uh, number one, this is Billy Zane's personal favorite film of his own, which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, makes me happy. <laughs> and number two, at the end of the closing credits, the Crypt Keeper announces the forthcoming feature Dead Easy, which was intended to be the second film in a Tales from the Crypt theatrical trilogy. Dead Easy was a zombie story set in New Orleans, but it was eventually abandoned. And the third film, Body Count, also went unproduced. Ultimately, a Tales from the Crypt trilogy was technically completed with Demon Knight being followed by Bordello of Blood in 96 and then Ritual in 2002, if you want to count it, which most fans don't. Yeah, um, I, was, I would definitely be curious on what would happen if you got on those two films. Um, the other thing that almost happened that they talked about on the behind the scenes stuff um, from Dust Till Dawn was initially going to be a Tales from the Crypt movie. Really? They were, they were in talks to get the script, to buy the script, and have it be a part of the trilogy. But Tarantino was asking too much money, was asking for too much money, and that's what stopped it. But they were actually talking about getting that script secured as a Tales from the Kirk film. <laughs> hmm, I wonder what that would have done to the movie. I wonder if like they would have done some rewrites on Tarantino's script, might have, you know, tweaked with the with the tone i wonder what that would have ended up looking like yeah it's it's hard because like yeah because at the same time like i can see the script as is being very tells from the crypty um with what tina tarantino has but at the same time i can see them changing some stuff like probably like i would feel like the the whole halfway point change probably wouldn't be there because they'd want to want to pick up the pace more yeah um with it probably to keep in line with that kind of like fun pacing that I really feel like Demon Knight has throughout. Um, but, and probably cut back on some Tarantino's dialogue, I'm sure. Um, much less, I'd wonder if they even have him be in it. Um, mm, yeah. You know what I mean? Because at that point, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, he had, I want to say Reservoir Dogs. I want to say Pulp Fiction. No, Pulp Fiction was 97. No, it was. 94, yeah. Okay, so he had those. So, I mean, he had clout. He already had, like, some quick clout happening. But he had these studios with bigger clouded people. So it's like, you do wonder if that would have been something on the table. So yeah. I, I do wonder. I But, I mean, ultimately, I'm glad how it turned out because we have Demon Knight and we have From Dust Hold On. But when I, when I heard that, I'm like, that's interesting that they were, like, racing to get that fucking script button. What stopped them was Tarantino was just saying, asking for too much. They couldn't afford it. I am to this day convinced that he wrote From Dust Till Dawn entirely just so he got to suck on Salma Hayek's feet. That's all he wanted. <laughs> well, that was a, we did that on the, on the show a while back. That was one of, when we were using Skype. That was our worst era of the show. But before we found Zoom and we had to go... Uh, virtual because of covid we, we tried skype for a bit and all oh my god it was so horrendous uh but we did from dust till dawn with uh with josh and uh it was fun but i i wish we could have done that 
with decent sound quality. <laughs> ah, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Um, so I give Demon Knight an eight. It's a great concept, super gory, really entertaining. I give it a nine. This is a, a big time personal favorite of mine. I mean, cast is great, the gore is great, the fucking demons are great, the pacing is fun. Uh, Billy Zane alone is so goddamn entertaining, as you can tell from what we're, we've been saying. This is 100, probably one of the most criminally underrated fucking gems of the 90s. It should get talked about a lot more when it comes to like good 90s horror films. Um, and look, I'm one, if you're like a horror fan, or even if you're not, you kind of like once here and there, you're looking for something fun to either just watch by yourself or with a group of friends, you cannot go wrong with this film. This is such a this is a fun horror film. Yeah, enough said. Thanks for listening. You can always follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Filmgasm Productions if you want to keep up with what we're doing. Uh, suggest films to us. Uh, give us feedback. You can hit us up there. Email us at filmgasm at gmail.com. You can always check out the website, filmgasm.com. We got all of our stuff there. And if you want to support the show, you can click on support this podcast and all donations are appreciated. We, we appreciate your time. Uh, next week is going to be very special. Uh, we're discussing the 1977 animated cult film Wizards, which follows a wizard and his companions as they traverse a post-apocalyptic earth to fight an evil wizard. The cool part, uh, I will not be hosting this one with Caleb, Josh, or Austin. Instead, I'll be joined by two special guest hosts, one of whom is making their filmgasm debut and the other making their long-awaited return. Tune in next week to hear us discuss Wizards, which I'm looking forward to watching. Uh, and, you know, if plans change, we'll have something else for you. But this, I'm pretty sure this is going to work out. So stay tuned next week. Uh, don't miss The Island of Dr. Moreau on Fridays Beyond the Bad, Lilies of the Field on Oscar Sunday, and Jackass Forever and Moonfall on Monday's Sneak Preview. Until then, stay creepy, boys and ghouls, and keep watching movies. Thank you.